praise you, Lord. Praise you. You are the only one who can. There is nothing better than you. And you are the God of the impossible. You make the impossible possible. You make a way where there isn't a way. You do take ashes and beauty comes out of them. You do um, reach us in our mourning and turn it back to joy. Lord, we just praise you and thank you. And together we say there's nothing better than you this morning. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Cool. Have a seat. Welcome to church on this beautiful, sunny spring morning. Uh, Welcome if you're joining us online. Uh, It's great to have you with us. If you're visiting or you're here for the first time uh, or if you're online for the first time, a very big welcome to you. Uh, We hope that you'll hang around afterwards and have a bit of a cup of tea or coffee and get to know us a bit better. If you're online, please join in the chat. Let us know you're there Um, because we just want to welcome you, basically, um, and want us all to have a good morning. A big congratulations if you're a Cats fan. You're back to winner. Good. That's out of your system. Excellent. Um, I'd just like to remind you, though, after the footy season is now finished and you are the premiers and you won by this huge amount, you now have to keep all the promises you made to God during the season. Okay? He expects you to honour every one of those prayers. All right? Okay. Okay, there's no SBC kids this morning, but we do have activity sheets and colouring sheets up the back there that the kids are welcome to um, go and have a go at or bring back to their seat. We do have crèche on this morning, um, if you've got littlies. Uh, quick word about crèche, just a reminder, it is for our uh, preschool-aged... Look out. Preschool-aged kids... Um, you will see some older kids out there sometimes. Uh, we keep it to preschool age just to keep it nice, a, a nice, safe uh, place for the littlies. Um, you'll see some older kids occasionally if their parents are serving in creche or if both their parents happen to be up here on stage. The poor little kids have got to have someone to look after them. Um, but we try and keep it to preschool age kids. Okie doke. Now... Uh, It's a good time to check in with the Church Centre app to let us know you're here. If you're online, like I said, just pop a little message in the chat somewhere so we know you're watching this morning. Um, As the buckets come around, you can fill in a Connect card or a Next Steps card. You can do that online, uh, digitally, through the Church Centre app. Uh, Or there are cards on the back of some of the seats that you can fill in. So if you've got anything you want to communicate to us... um, It might be a prayer point that you'd like us to be praying for you. It might be a question. It might be a comment about something. Or the next step cards are there for if you're wondering, what is my next step with Jesus? Um, Because we've never just arrived. We've never just sitting there going, oh, yeah, I've I've done it. I'm here. I'm I'm a Christian. I know God. This is good. I've just cruised to the rest of my days. We're not. We're on a journey. We're learning all the time. So if you're wondering what your next step is, that's a a good chance to fill in a next step card and we might be able to help you with that. Okie doke. A couple of announcements for you. We have a prayer course coming up. We're starting, it's a five-week prayer course in term four. It's called God on Mute and it's about unanswered prayer. So it won't apply to any Geelong supporters. Um, It will apply to me. Um, But that'll be really good because we know how frustrating that feeling is uh, when we pray earnestly and we push into God and we feel like he doesn't hear us uh, or we don't see the answers to prayer. 
So it's going to be a really, really good little five-week course. It's on a Tuesday evening, so it'll be here at church. Uh, and I know Tuesday evenings are often a time that a lot of our small groups get together, but this could be a time for your small group to come just for five weeks, just to meet and do something that's going to be really useful and really helpful. So you can check that out. I'd strongly encourage you to be part of that. It'll be really good. You can register on the Church Centre app. Uh, and if you want more details about it, if you see Pastor Jack, she will talk to you a lot about it because she's very, very keen on it. Now, any other announcements and things you'll find in the newsletter or on the Church Centre app or on the website. But just to remind you that we do lots of social things. Um, we don't want this just to be a church that meets on Sunday and then, you know, I don't care what happens to you for the rest of the week. We want it to be more like family. We want to connect to people and to do that we need to spend a little bit of time around other people, getting to know them, having conversations. So we try and put on lots of different social things to enable you to do that. Um, and you can pick and choose the ones you like. So some of the things that are coming up, we have a gardening and coffee morning coming up here at church, that's on the 6th. We have a bike ride that's coming up on the 8th. We have a family picnic coming up on the 9th. Um, and we also, this Saturday, we have a ladies' flower afternoon. Um, and that's, kind of, that's on this Saturday. So it's a chance to say, oh yeah, I'd, I'd be interested in that. Hop on the Church Centre app or ask someone here at church. Make sure you register. Most of those things, the, flower, the ladies' flower afternoon, you definitely need to register for because there's only limited seats for it. Um, but the other things, you always register, so the people organising it know to expect you, or like the bike ride, we know we're waiting for someone before we take off. Um, but there's lots of chances to connect with people, so take advantage of them. Get out there and enjoy each other's company. So, like I said, Church Centre app on the website, that's where you'll find all the details and you can register for those sort of things as well. Cool. So, welcome again. Um, and church is for everybody. You can be elated like Geelong supporters this morning or you can be like me. I sat down, I watched the grand final. I'm a Swan supporter. So it, it, was, it was a long afternoon. And I thought, that's okay. It's only a game. We only got beaten by, you know, they scored the highest that was scored against us for the season. We scored the lowest we've scored for the season. That's all right. It's only a game. I'll cheer myself up. I'll watch the Wallabies play. And if anyone knows the result of that, that's... So, but seriously, um, people come from everywhere and join together with church, whether it's online or whether it's here in the room. And some people have real sorrow and some people have real problems in their life. And we realise that. Some of us are on mountaintops, some of us aren't. Some of us are struggling along, just plodding along through our lives. Some of us are really in a valley. We really are literally in the shadow of death. But God is with us through it all. And this is a place to come and meet with God and meet with people around you and be encouraged. Just remember, God is the God of the impossible. Nothing is impossible for him. And he wants to be with you. Uh, if you are in that dark place, he wants to be with you. He wants to sit with you. He wants to comfort you and he wants to lift you out of that place. He wants to walk with you on that journey. So no matter where you are 
this morning. God is here with you. So if you just stand and I'll just pray and then you can have a little bit of time just have a quick chat. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you are with us in our elation and you're with us in our despair, that you never leave us. And your promise is that nothing can separate us from your love. So we know that you will be beside us, whether we know you're there or not. We know that you will hear our prayers, whether we feel you hear them or not. And we know that you'll act on them because you love us. So Lord, no matter where we find ourselves this morning, I thank you for that love. And for those who need to feel your presence and your touch and need your help, Lord, we ask for that right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. You now have five minutes on the clock to have a wander around, have a chat to somebody, be friendly. It's a friendly place. Oh, victorious God, we praise you this morning. King of love, King of the universe. God, you love us. You know us. You know every detail about us. And God, we lift up your name this morning. The name of above every name. The name that every knee will bow to. Every tongue will confess that you are Lord of all. And God, in this moment, we choose to just surrender our hearts again just to choose to cast our vision, our gaze upon you. And God, I pray this morning that we might know your grace and your love like never before. You might help us to see King Jesus, the risen King, Saviour of the world. Lord God, we love you. We thank you so much for all that you're doing. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, please grab a seat. Good morning. It's great to be here with you this morning. Fantastic last Sunday in September. It's a good victorious sort of feeling in the, in the place. No, I'll stop. Um, <clears throat> got plenty to get through this morning. And first, before we uh, get into my message, which we'll get into in a minute, we've got a, a baby dedication. We're going to dedicate uh, Elizabeth Margaret Dent this morning. And I think the whole family's going to come up. You can come up while I keep talking. So um, if you've never been a part of a baby or a child dedication before, then welcome. Great to have you. You get to... This is the fourth baby we've dedicated here at SBC. So how cool is that of the Dent family? Not ever. <laughs> Not ever. Uh, baby dedications and child dedications, you sort of see throughout, uh, throughout Scripture. It's not something that we've just made up. Uh, um, sort of you see it in 1 Samuel where Hannah's been praying for a child and um, you see that God answer the prayer and the dedication. You see Jesus dedicated at eight days old. I think Libby's a little bit older than eight days old now. She looks a little bit older than that. Um, but the idea of child dedication is that uh, it's for the parents to completely entrust their child to God. Uh, it's sort of this, uh, this idea that we see in Deuteronomy 6, where it's, um, 
verses 5 to 9. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so this morning, this is part of this dedication or this entrusting Libby to to God's plan and his purpose. And so I'm going to ask you a few questions. And then I'm going to ask us all a question, and then we're going to pray for Libby and, and the Dent family. So do you receive, I'm going to talk to, to you guys, the parents, do you receive Elizabeth with gratitude as God's gift to you and your family? And do you commit to each other as parents, creating a stable environment in which Elizabeth can mature, and will you make a covenant to strengthen your marriage relationship? Do you commit to be parents of personal faith, recognising Elizabeth is more likely to follow God's path by the model that she first observes in you? And us, as church family, let's stand and we'll answer this together and then we'll pray. Do you, as members of this church family, commit to praying for, encouraging, supporting, supporting and partnering with this family as they raise Elizabeth in the ways of the Lord? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for Elizabeth. We thank you that she is a child of yours, that you've made her in your image. And God, your plans and your purposes uh, are so great for her. And God, uh, we thank you so much for the Dent family and for the way they trust you and follow you. And God, we pray this morning that they might continue to trust you. They might entrust Libby into your care and your, your hands and your purposes. They might trust you more than they trust themselves. And God, we pray that as Libby grows, she will see in her parents faith, they would see hope, they would see love, they would see the fruits of the Spirit and the way to live, the way to trust you. And God, we pray that even as she grows up here in the house of SBC, God, that she would know that this is a place of faith, this is a place of encouragement, this is a place where we pray and we believe that that God has the best plan and the best purpose for us all. And so God, we entrust her to you now, we dedicate her to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Fantastic. Let's give him a hand. Well done, Libby. Well done, Michael. You can, yeah. Man of many talents. Father of four and can carry a pulpit. Well done. Fantastic. Well, if it's your first time at church... Uh, this morning, either online or in the room. Uh, It's great to have you with us. We're in the middle of a a short three-week series called Doubting God. Uh, And last week, we talked about... I'm using that word liberally, I realise. I talked about, you listened, um, the idea of, does God exist? Uh, How can we know? And when we have doubts about God's existence, um, where do we turn? What do we do with those doubts? And the key phrase that I used last week... I don't know if you remember. Just keep swimming. Yeah. I try to make it so the kids could remember it and, and remind you that that's what we need to do. We need to keep pursuing God and keep chasing down the answers. The, the, the last thing that we can do or the worst thing we should do with our doubts is just succumb to them and go, well, I, I don't know the answers. I'm not kind of, I can't figure it out in my own head, so uh, it mustn't be real. Uh, if we would keep pursuing Jesus, if we seek him with all our hearts, he promises we will find him. Uh, And so anyway, if you missed that message, I encourage you to go back to listen to it. Um, 
And today we're going to talk about what about evil and suffering? What about evil and suffering? This is a big uh, thing, I think, that comes up in every Christian, non-Christian's mind at some point. How can a good and loving, all-powerful God allow such evil and suffering in the world? I want to read a scripture, then we'll, um, we'll get into it. It says this in Matthew 11, 1 to 6. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he moved on from there to teach and preach in their towns. And now when John, this is John the Baptist, heard in prison what the Christ was doing, he sent a message through his disciples and asked him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, go and report to John what you hear and see. Listen to this, what he says, the blind receive their sight. The lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor are told the good news, and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. God, would you help us to understand your word? Would you help us to see your truth? And Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if um, any parents have ever been stumped by a question from their kids before, and you sort of like, just, oh, I know the answer to that. I'll, you go figure out what you think the answer is, and then um, I'll tell you if you're right. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can handle it. In our house, we've got um, a few of these, like, Google Home things, and so the boys, I don't know if you've got these, or, you know, the Apple ones, or the Amazon ones, you know, hey, Alexa, hey, hey, Google, and the boys love to go to ask Google lots of random questions and and a lot of the time the questions are and this is a, a car game we play as well not with google but uh, the boys will ask questions like who would win a bee or a redback or who would win it's always a fight and it's always animals that are just like randomly opposed to each other that would never probably encounter each other in the wild but we have to figure out who would win out of these things who would win out of a whale and a shark or who would win out of a rhino and a crocodile and the list goes on i mean if you th- can think of a combo, they've probably asked Google, and he might, And if you ask Harrison down the back, he might know the answer to that, uh, but most of the time Google says, I don't know how to help with that. <laughs> <laughs> and occasionally we'll recommend a YouTube video of those two animals fighting, um, which we don't always uh, look at. <laughs> uh, the list goes on, but I think this question... And this is the question that we have to confront at some point in our faith journey. And if you haven't, I'm going to confront you with it right now. And if you have, you might know an answer. You might have reconciled in your own brain. Or you might have just sort of gone, I don't know. If God is good and there is suffering in the world, then he can't be all-powerful. If God is all-powerful and there is suffering, then he isn't good enough to stop it. Either way, the God of the Bible, the all-good and all-powerful God, can't exist. It can't be true. What do you say? How do you reconcile that? And that's the question that I want to pose this morning, because I think this is the one that can allow doubt to creep in. And I think this is the basis or the sort of the foundation of John the Baptist. This is where his doubt comes from. It's because he's found himself in prison. He's found himself in a, in a bad place amongst some suffering of his own. And he's preached before. I mean, if you, we talked briefly about this last week, but if you look back in Matthew 3, John the Baptist has been going around 
the countryside saying, you know, repent, the kingdom of God is near, look at the, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, it takes away the sins of the world, you know, all these sorts of things. He's baptised Jesus. And now he gets to a point in his life where he's like, are you the one? Is this, is this right? Like, I look around at my life and it's just like, ah, where's the victory? Where's the triumph? Where's the... Because, see, John the Baptist had in his mind, and, and most of the Jews did, a picture of what the Saviour or the Messiah would look like. He would come and he would look like a powerful, triumphant, governmental ruler, some sort of king, earthly king. He would overthrow the government. He would take over the world and rule from on high. But that's, that's not what Jesus did. And so John the Baptist is maybe been going on, preaching these things, doing these things, expecting Jesus to somehow, like, suddenly rise up and, and take over, but he doesn't. And this is a real question that comes from a real place. Suffering can lead to doubt. And I just want to give a bit of a caveat this morning as well, is that I recognise that um, the suffering, the pain that we all feel is real. And today is not to... It's not going to explain away your suffering or tell you that it's not real um, or even make, it, make you feel any better about it. But really, this is answering the question of doubt, is how can I still trust or believe in a God when there is evil and suffering? I can't put those good and all-powerful truths together in my own head. How does it work? So it's about dealing with the doubt. It's not necessarily about... Um, helping you feel better about your pain or your suffering. So I've got four ways to think about suffering. I don't know if... Are we going to have them on the screen back or not? No? That's all right. I'll just tell you what they are. They were very wordy titles and they weren't very um, catchy, so I said, Beck, don't worry about putting on the screen. Cause... So the first way to think about suffering is this. A scale of suffering and good that we can't think beyond. A scale of suffering and good that we can't think beyond. So what I mean by this is that if we believe or are trying to believe in a God who is infinitely more powerful or more good or more holy than us, one that has the ability to create the universe, stars, galaxies, and at the same time, atoms and cells that contain minute detail that we still can't work out. We're still trying to um, work out the, how DNA works and how it all sort of fits together. And if that is the God, and if that is the God, and in reality there is a God, he must be like this. Like, we can't believe that there's a God that's somehow not all-powerful, not, if he's a creator, his mind must be infinitely better than ours, in terms of its ability. Um, He isn't small, weak, or mindless. And if this is the God we believe in, and we look at this life through the lens of eternity, and both the good and the evil that we see and experience, and somehow think that we can know what the, the goodest, I know that's not the right word, what the best thing of life is, and what the worst thing of life is, if we think that we can figure that out, then we're sort of kidding ourselves, or we haven't really understood that the God is far bigger, more powerful, more, more good than we we're putting far too much faith in our own cognitive abilities. A child that grows up without any significant um, trauma or abuse might experience yesterday 
the grand final, if they're a Cats or a Swan supporter, as perhaps um, the best thing or the worst thing that's ever happened to them. A young footy fan. They might have... I'm sure there was kids yesterday, Swan's kids. um, Swan's kids. Swan kids that are Swan's fans that were devastated after yesterday because they had built up so much expectation in their own head, in their own mind. And likewise, there was, I had a few in my house, um, Cats fans that were jubilant, like just the best, that was the best, you know, they were buzzing uh, afterwards. And we know, well, some of us know, that that's not the best thing or the worst thing that could ever happen. With perspective, we can see that actually life does get much better than that and life does get much worse than that. But for that child or in that moment, for what they know and from their perspective of life, of what they can understand, that's the extremes. That's the scale. If this is good here, they're, they're like, I'm right on the edge of good here or I'm right on the edge of bad. You understand? And then as you get older, that, that scale sort of drifts out. It's like, oh, it gets better. And it also gets worse. I mean, God can... If he's infinitely better than what we can imagine, the, the scale that we can understand and comprehend with our, our own minds, we can't limit it. And, and you might think to yourself, well, Brad, that's good and well, but I can't imagine the, the, the suffering and the pain that we've seen, like genocides and tsunamis and uh, the, the terrible things. Like, I can't imagine anything worse than those things. And that's the point. It's like, just because you can't imagine it doesn't mean it can't exist. And I can't imagine anything better than the things I've experienced. Well, again, just because you can't imagine it, we're like, chi- we're like children in the scheme of eternity. Like our experience, our perspective is so limited compared to an infinite God or an eternal being. It doesn't mean that... Um, doesn't... What am I saying here? And so, yeah, you might think the worst thing is pretty bad and, and, and it happens... Um, and, I mean, if you're looking for evil, it gets pretty bad. You can think of it pretty bad things. And I can't think of anything worse, and that's exactly the point. It doesn't mean that God isn't saving us from far worse and not revealing his absolute glory and goodness. I mean, you think about uh, Moses in the Old Testament. He goes up to the, the mountain and he sees God and he comes back shining. It's like he's seen something far more glorious than he's ever seen before, than any man's ever seen before. Or Jesus on the mountain... Transfiguration, you know, he goes up and there's just something more powerful. Even think of like Adam and Eve in the garden and they sin, like it's perfect, there's no sin, and then suddenly they sin and then suddenly they're covering themselves. It's like they know that there's something broken and they've only eaten an apple or a fruit. Like that's the extent of evil that they know and they're still hiding from God. Like they just know that the, the separation between the all-powerful and all-holy God, and them, is worth hiding from. It just can't coexist. And so, it doesn't diminish the suffering or evil we experience. It's real and it's hard. Um, But let it encourage you that the goodness of God is far better than the best you've experienced. And the suffering that God's grace spares us from is far worse than we've ever known. Even the the general grace that God gives to all people saves us from the separation 
And we'll talk a little bit about Jesus on the cross and the separation he felt from the Father and how that was far worse than anything we've ex- ever experienced before. So that's one way to think about evil and suffering. The second way is this, is that we can't comprehend the purpose in it. So evil and suffering aren't proof against God. Just because you can't think of a good reason doesn't mean there can't be one. Just because you can't think of a good reason why why suffering or evil or bad things happen, it doesn't mean there can't be a good reason. Isaiah 55, verse 8 to 11, says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For just as rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat, so my word, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. So sometimes in life we can have bad things happen to us and then in, in, in hindsight we can say, well, because I went through that, like, I'm better for it. Uh, I've learned something for it, my character's developed, and, and it couldn't have developed, or I, I couldn't have learned that lesson without, um, without going through that. Um, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's in hindsight we can see, but there's also things in life that we experience that we think, I can't see any good in that. There is no purpose in that, and just because we can't think of it doesn't mean there can't be one, is the point I'm trying to make here. Um, Joseph in Genesis and his brothers, you know, Joseph is a guy that's um, almost killed but then they decide to sell him as, as a slave um, to, to Egypt and Pharaoh and he's put in prison, he's accused, he's, um, he's had a pretty terrible run and I'm sure for Joseph through his whole life pretty much, he could not have seen any good purpose in it until he got to the point where he saved Egypt and his family from famine. Uh, that was the purpose in it. No one is grateful for the pain and the suffering they experience, but with time and perspective, there are good reasons for some of the pain in our lives. And maybe from God's point of view, there are good reasons for all of the pain. Why couldn't there be? And you d- the point is, you can't use this as a, a, as a good logical argument against God. Again, it's not to help you with your pain and your suffering. Um, but you can't use this as a good logical reason to doubt God. Perhaps an emotional one, but not a, a good logical one. Like a child, I was trying to think of a good way to, to, to think of this, going back to children. Uh, like a child can't see a positive in a needle ooh, or a blood test. Um, as a parent, you don't do this uh, because you aren't good, but because you are. I mean, we've had, I'm sure parents you've had the same you have the times where you've they've had to go to a doctor or they've had to see someone and they're doing a test and you, they're screaming and they hate it and you hate it as a parent as well you don't enjoy them going through that pain but you only do that because you love them and because you want to work out what's going on and if you don't love them and you think well just we'll just ignore it and pretend it's not there it's like well no that's not a <laughs> that's not a good thing to do and you don't stop because your child can't see why this might be good for them You just know and love the child, so the temporary pain is worth it for the good that comes. Matthew 7, verse 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? 
if we look at ourselves and think, well, I'm good and I wouldn't let this happen, um, or I, you, we sort of base God's goodness on our own goodness, the Bible says, well, you can't do that. Like, God's goodness is far superior than your goodness. And so, even in your best moments, God is better. Even in your best moments, God is better. And his, his love and his goodness in our life, even though we might not understand it today, is still there. It's still true. All right, third, third thing. You with me so far? Third thing. And these are the, I think, the, the good ones, the th- third and fourth. The first two, forget them. Don't worry about it. <clears throat> Let's go to the third and fourth, because I think this is where, where it really helps us. A God who suffers with and for us. So back to John the Baptist. He's expecting a powerful king, someone to come overthrow the government, um, take on the system, change it, take over. Um, some Christians still think like that today. Um, but he's powerful and just not in the way humanity thinks power is displayed though. So Jesus comes and he is powerful, but he's not powerful in the way that we think, we naturally think or we want to think power is. We like to think power is someone telling us making the rules, making all the decrees, making people do even if they don't want to do it, what to, you know. And that's not what Jesus is like. That's not what he does. And so John's in prison after proclaiming to anyone that will hear that Jesus is the Messiah. He's God. He's this powerful king. He's the one that's come to save the world. He's going to make it all better. But now he's not so sure because he's not the saviour he was really expecting. How could God allow him to be in prison? Are you really the one? Jesus, is this? I don't know now. And Jesus reminds John, I didn't come for the powerful, but the powerless. Notice how he answers John's doubts when John is in a dark, hard place. We'll get to the the miracle part of it in a minute, but look at, at the way Jesus, or what he points to. Jesus replied, go and report to John what you hear and see. Listen to these, the categories of people. The blind, the lame, the lepers, the deaf, the dead, the poor. Not the kings, not the rulers, not the authorities. Not the rich, but the powerless. And this is how Jesus answers John's doubt. Not with logical reason that I've just gone through in the first two, but pointing to himself and his mission and his purpose. And he does the same for us. When we ask why, he answers perhaps in a way that we don't expect and maybe we don't even like. He says, look at me. Look at the way I live. Look at the way I lived. Look at who I came for. Look at how I came, how I lived, how I died. Jesus dying on the cross, Jesus coming for the lowly, shows us the reason for evil and suffering cannot be because he doesn't love us. It can't be because he doesn't love us. It might not tell us why it happens, but we know one reason why it definitely doesn't happen. His suffering was extreme. You know, if you look back at um, people who died, uh, martyrs, um, back at the Maccabean times, um, after Jesus and the disciples and the apostles in the, further on in the centuries, Jesus didn't die very well. 
in the sense that there was martyrs that were smiling. They were like happy as they were being burnt at the stake. But Jesus, at the, even at the Garden of Gethsemane, he's like sweating, like, or, you know, tears of blood, you know, coming from his brow. And he's having a terrible time because he's experiencing the wrath and the separation of God the Father. Not just the physical pain, but the spiritual and emotional pain that he suffered through dying on the cross was something that we've never had to experience, or never will, for those, who, for those of us who put our faith and trust in him. He became sin for us, it says in 1 Corinthians. And the Father turned his face away from Jesus. There was no grace on the cross towards Jesus. He felt the full punishment and the full wrath of God. And his suffering as the Son of God was extreme. It was brutal on every front. There was no holding back. And this suffering in our place for our sin shows us that our suffering and pain is known by God. And he chose to endure it for us on our behalf. So our pain, our suffering, even though we might not understand it, is known by God and felt by him. He loves us through it. And I think when we understand this reality, this helps us get through pain and suffering. Perhaps much better than the first two points do. This helps us get through pain and suffering. Because one thing about God is he doesn't, he doesn't need us. Like, he's completely content within himself. He wasn't looking down at, at earth, at, at us, and thinking, oh man, I've got a human-shaped hole in my heart that I need filled. Like, he is, he's existed for eternity past. Like, he's never lacked anything. We were created out of love and for love, to experience love. And he loves us through the pain. And in fact, it's only through pain and suffering that we really understand love and good anyway. Without pain and suffering, there's no way to... If, if, if the worst thing that ever happened to you was you stubbed your toe, um, we would be still asking the same question, how could a good and powerful God let us stub our toes? Because that would be our complete knowledge if we didn't know what death was, that, you know, that's our complete understanding of what, what evil is. How could a good God? So it's only through our, our pain and our suffering that we can understand that he redeems us, that he goes through that for us so that we might know him. He loves us through it. The fourth thing is this, that he turns it back around. He turns it back around. So not only does Jesus know and understand suffering, but he turns it back around on its head. He redeems it. So look at these verses again. Jesus replied, go report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor are told the good news. Not only does he come for the weak, the powerless, but he redeems the weakness. He redeems the suffering. Sometimes we think of heaven or what Jesus has got for us in the future as sort of like a a reward for enduring pain and suffering. But it's far better than that. It's far better than that. In Revelation, it talks about the restoration of all things, the redemption of all things. It's going to be better than what it was. He's going to, it's going to make sense once it's all put back together, once it's all redeemed. The 
the worse the suffering and then when it, it's, it's made better, the, the sweeter the joy is. It's not just a consolation for the life to come, but ultimate resurrection. Jesus died, he suffered a brutal death, but, but then he was resurrected and he was risen again. You know, early this year, um, we went on a, on a holiday and I remember we were staying at my uncle's house in Sydney, the rest of the swans, poor guy. Anyway, <clears throat> we were staying up at my uncle's house in Sydney and I woke up in the middle of the night because I was having a terrible dream uh, about one of our kids. And just, it's like something you don't experience until you're a parent, I don't think, is that you have these dreams and you can imagine what might have happened, but it involved water and I've just got this fear of kids and water and um, I think we'd just been on the boat the day before on the ferry, so it sort of makes sense anyway. I remember waking up in the middle of the night and, and going to check on the kid that I was dreaming about because I'm like, I've just got to see that he's breathing. I've just got to see him. And I couldn't get back to sleep, but I just lay there the rest of the night next to him, just like holding him, so, so thankful that he was there and alive. And like, I'd never, like he, nothing happened. It was a dream. But it's only through that experience of like, without the dream, like I wouldn't have felt that joy and, and, and jubilee of, of life. Like I would have just, like it's not that I didn't love him before. You know what I'm trying to say. Like it's only because that like I, it, I had somehow lost him and then gained him back that it was like so much better. And in the same way, this is what Jesus is going to do in the fullness of time, is every pain, every suffering, every hard time is going to be turned around and it's going to be made better because of the pain and suffering that was experienced, because of the evil. Only through pain and death is life better and greater than it was before. Death to life, tears to joy, mourning to dancing, we'll just sing about it, graves to gardens. Jesus' ultimate death and suffering was eclipsed by his resurrection as life. And so we might not know exactly why pain and suffering happens this in, like today from our perspective on life. But what we can know is that God loves us and will restore everything that is broken. And so if you've got doubts because of pain and suffering, I hope this gives you some tools and resources to help you think about it. And if you're going through pain and suffering, I hope likewise that you can see through Jesus that his pain and his suffering and the way he restores that which is broken and brings back that which is dead gives you hope for the future. Helps you to trust him, that he might see something that you can't. Like a parent looks at a child and can see something that they can't yet see. Our God in heaven can see something about our lives that we can't yet see understand or see and he loves us and he's asking us just to trust him just to trust him through it let's pray together god we thank you for your life and we thank you for your word god we thank you that you are a good powerful god and just because we can't understand you in every moment of life god we still choose to trust you we still choose to put our uh, our life in your hands knowing that you love us knowing that you sent your son to become one of us to die in our place and to, to be redeemed to be restored to life 
And God, I pray that those of us that might be going through the valley of the shadow of death, God, I thank you that you walk with us through. You don't abandon us, but you go through it with us. And there are better days ahead. There is redemption coming. There is restoration coming. There is laughter coming. There is joy coming. And whether we see it in this life or in eternity to come, God, we know that we will see it. And God, we hold on to you in the meantime. We walk with you in the meantime. So God, would you help us to trust you even when we are doubting you? Would you help us to have faith in the hard times? God, we love you and we honour you. We thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Um, Enjoy the last week of school holidays. We'll see you again next Sunday. Have a great week.